This is Real Good Movies. For our sixth installment, prepare yourself for an abundance of really bad Arnold impressions. This is the Terminator. Why does it want me? Why me? Arnold Schwarzenegger is... The Terminator. Your future is in its hands. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe on your end. I, I'm not even going to attempt. <laughs> no. It, yeah, if you want to attempt it, by all means, this is the, the safe space to do so. So just a couple side notes before we, we start talking about the movie The Terminator. One of our listeners actually messaged me about The Truman Show and said that they would choose over Jim Carrey, Matt Dillon. But I'm not sure if they meant Matt Dillon or Matt Damon. <laughs> wow. I'd love Matt Dillon in that role. As opposed to Matt Damon. <laughs> yes, I don't think Matt Damon has it, but uh, thank you for tuning in. The me that's sent back from the future wants me to remind all our listeners that feedback, both positive and negative, is appreciated. And uh, let us know what you think. Yes, please chime in anytime. Let us know whatever. Uh, let me know that I say uh or something too much. Absolutely, please. <laughs> uh, I did uh, message Arnold Schwarzenegger on Instagram to ask him if he would like to be on our podcast. And uh, he didn't even read the message. He didn't get back with you? No. Are you surprised? I'm a little surprised. What the hell is Arnold Schwarzenegger doing? Yeah, come on. Jesus. So to get to it, uh, this is the start of Arnold's career, I think, in my opinion. It is Terminator. Basically, if you haven't seen or heard about Terminator, somehow it's a cyborg assassin sent from the future to find and kill Sarah Connor. Probably one of the most famous character names in all of cinema. We'll get to that. It's sent to protect her is Kyle Reese, who divulges the coming of Skynet and a nuclear holocaust. What a simple plot. Yeah, it's a, a super tight uh, like little synopsis there and, and that's exactly how it plays out. It's almost kind of got the same uh, Halloween vibes going on where it's just point A to point B really quick. Absolutely. And my my experience first with this movie was only recently. I've only watched it for the first time recently uh, last year or two. I was really shocked how much more I appreciated the movie the second viewing. My producer had never seen this movie before and when I showed her she was absolutely blown away at the, the quality of this movie. Yeah, this would be a great movie to see for the first time uh, to see as an adult i remember seeing this not when it came out because i i don't know if i was born yet maybe <laughs> i, I wasn't even I was, an I was, idea I was, I, was like, I was like one or something but um but definitely you know later on in the 90s when when i saw it great movie to see i, I think it would be really cool with seeing it brand new for the first time now um given some of the dated effects and stuff like that to have that perspective on them but yeah so you grew up with this movie i oh, yeah. lived most of my life not not watching it and it's weird because this movie comes up anytime you talk great sci-fi anytime you talk about the best movies and the must-see movies of all time this is a shoo-in in the conversation every time this is an important movie to watch it's i, I don't know i mean you can't call it a sci-fi epic i guess but it's a, a a really important sci-fi movie and yeah it's 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 very interesting it's got a very interesting plot i, I feel like you know a lot of uh filmmakers and, and writers and stuff have borrowed from that since then and uh, apparently this was even unintentionally borrowed. <laughs> you did mention uh, earlier about Halloween, how how much we, uh, you know, kiss that movie's ass, of course. And, you know, when you talk about sci-fi and uh, movies in this genre, top quality movies all time, why do you think this movie is mentioned alongside grades like Jurassic Park and Halloween? It, it's hard to say. Um, it's a James Cameron vehicle, so that mm -hmm. definitely helps a lot. It's got a very interesting plot. It was a pretty, I guess, at the time, if you think about it, early 80s, it's a pretty original idea um, having cyborgs, however you want to label them, uh, coming from the future back into the past to stop somebody from being born. And then just kind of sticking with that. I mean, that's really it. There's not uh, too many side quests or, or, yep, or B plots or anything like that. I mean, that's pretty much it other than the little bit of love story, but that uh, directly ties in as well. So it's a yep. very nice package, like very uh, accessible, very, very well done. And it just kind of lives in its own world right there. It's For very sure. good. And of course, Arnold, I, I think in my opinion, that's probably the main reason that it lives on the way that it does. Because of Arnold, absolutely. Um... The movie tells you basically everything you need to know without having to ask. Um, and I think that's why, like like Halloween, it's such a simple story. Like you said, A to B, there's no kind of, and this is, I'll get into in one of the what's age the best and worst, is the complex time travel stories that you get out of movies like Endgame and even Back to the Future. 
Uh, we'll talk, we can talk about that later. So I think you're right. And uh, no, actually, no, you're right. Because the simplicity of the movie is what makes this movie memorable. It makes it rewatchable. And it's something that you talk about and you can talk about when you're talking about some of the best movies ever made. Yeah, it almost kind of follows like a template, but I, I would, you know, I guess rather say that uh, kind of created a template mm-hmm. for, for that kind of thing. But, um, but in, in the same way that Halloween did in that same, you know, straight, straight from A to B, uh, there's not too many discrepancies in between. There's not too much you could call out for continuity or, or plot holes, or I can't think of the word, but you know, every time you have anything to do with time travel, there's so many problems that people bring up and stuff like nope. that. And there's not much here that I can, uh, there's not anything I can think of. I don't know if there's, I'm sure there's websites dedicated out there that, <laughs> for that, sure. about that kind of thing. But, um, but yeah, and this actually, I didn't really think about it until right now until we started talking about it. But, sure. um, you know, it does that thing for me that Days and Confused does for me that Halloween did for me. Like it really kind of just takes place like right then, like, you know, it doesn't jump from day to day to, to week to week, year to year or whatever. It just kind of is it's contained in this very short period of time. And, uh, and I, I like that a lot. Yeah. It's, I never really thought about that aspect of the story that this movie takes place within two, two days. Yeah. I, maybe. I guess it would be two days. Yeah. Yeah. Really incredible that they're ever able to tell such a, you know, one of a kind and a pioneer. And this is why we talk so highly of Halloween is that it's a pioneer in its genre. Can you, can you even, I couldn't think of maybe a more iconic sci-fi or a fantasy movie that came out before this, that you know, was the, the, the pioneer for this movie. something to pioneer this. I, I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure it brings in some influence from, you know, obviously stuff that came before it. And I, I, I can't, what year was Blade Runner? That was before this. That must've been close. In yeah. The 80s. I um, don't know what year Blade Runner came out. There's, there's stuff out there, you know, there's, there's definitely uh horror sci-fi and, and stuff before this, but to create uh, that template for, for what this is and became, yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree with you. There's not anything I can really pull out. So. Yeah. It's amazing that it, it created an idea of an unstoppable machine, simply chasing two people and yeah. makes it so com- captivating. Absolutely. And it, it really, I don't know if it's just the critical lens that we're putting on it or whatever, but yeah. but watching this so closely to watching Halloween and, and having that in the back of my mind as I'm watching this, like they share a lot of similarities, the way they're structured, the way they, they're yep. blocked and all of that, like a, a lot, like they remind me a lot of one another. I definitely, I turned to my producer and I, I said, does it, does it not remind you of Michael Myers? And she said, yeah, spot on. And James Cameron has, has been known to say he actually quoted as, as John Carpenter as one of his, his idols. Mm-hmm. And you can see there are some, some horror elements in this movie. Arnold's legacy, obviously a household name now. What uh, what are your thoughts on Arnold? It's such an interesting path that he went down. This huge action star, you know, uh, I, I guess not even action star. We we have to start before that in the I guess seventies where he was Mister Universe, Mister Bodybuilder, and and he yeah. was all about that. And I, I guess really before breaking into acting, even when he's doing Pumping Iron and all of that, uh, he was he was still on magazine covers. So he was a celebrity in his own right before he was a a huge action star, actor, kindergarten cop, or anything like that. Yeah. All the way up to uh, governor and still acting and. He's a he's a machine. Arnold is. I don't want to say anything too positive about Arnold because I didn't really. I guess I've not seen a lot of this out there, but there yeah. are some accusations and stuff. So I, I don't yeah. know anything about those. I didn't dig into that. We're, we're not here to talk about the politics. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna yeah, sure. like that span of his life where he was the the governor. Just yeah. his legacy in in Hollywood and how he, this is like his first movie. This is what he's known for. And before this movie, he's not really a major star. Like you said, he's just a bodybuilder. Um, his only major major role before this was Conan and that had little to no effect on on movie history and it's not really talked about like the Terminator after this he goes on to make Predator Total Recall and as a movie I'm I'm 100% certain we'll talk about down the road is T2 Judgment Day I would certainly hope so that's and I know we'll get into that as mm-hmm. we're talking about this in in some regard I obviously don't want it to be overshadowed by that by any means For sure it's gonna be tough just going back and watching this and I think this every time I go back and watch Terminator 1 there's so many things that are in my mind from Terminator 2 that I think are in Terminator 1 or or <laughs> something like that stuff that I'm like when's he gonna twirl yeah. the barrel of the gun around his <laughs> hand while he's on the motorcycle or when uh when's he gonna shoot it yeah while we're watching terminator one (laughs) kyle reese says to sarah connor says come with me if you want to live Uh uh uh-huh uh-huh now my my producer has never seen terminator two 
Oh, wow. And, and she's like, hey, doesn't Arnold say that line? And she must have known it from memes or, or internet culture. And then I started to second guess myself. Like, why did I think? So these movies are, they're easy to, to get tangled up. And we'll try not to dive too much into T2 because it's going to be an episode on its own. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, again, we don't want to overshadow uh, this with with that, but just to throw it out there, you know, that is yeah. such a wonderful, wonderful movie and probably one of the only sequels I can think of off the top of my head where I'm like, damn, is that one better than this one? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's uh, very true. And, and I will dissect that movie down the road. 100 percent will break down sure. why it's why it's arguably one of the best sequels. And that brings me to James Cameron. Obviously, in terms of Hollywood directors, I would say he's maybe next to Spielberg, one of the top five most uh, well-known directors out there. If, if you name drop him, people will know. Yeah, I mean, he has such a huge catalog of things behind him. Obviously, this, Aliens, The Abyss, Titanic, Avatar. Mm -hmm. uh, and we can't downplay True Lies at all because, come on. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. a hidden gem. <laughs> it, it really is. Uh, it's a fun movie, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were naming his his movies and you said both t2 and aliens mm -hmm. and i'm just gonna assume that you've seen aliens as well yes so with the praise that those movies have does that set james james cameron up as the king of sequels next to francis ford coppola yeah i think so every one of his movies deserves a sequel or a franchise or whatever he's just great at world building uh it's very interesting what he comes up with in his mind. He's a very mm. interesting person, very creative uh, and, and very great at world building. Yeah. I think the first movie from any kind of director is usually the best indication of their, their sheer talent in that they're making the movie they want to make. And James Cameron, I mean, he's made other stuff that no one's seen, but for this to be your first film, it only opens the door. So I was going to ask you what your, what's your favorite James Cameron flick? Well, that depends. Um, <laughs> I would say as to be, uh, credited for uh, writing, directing, whatever it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's gotta be Terminator too. But if we're just okay. talking about what he worked on, uh, I'm definitely going rock and roll high school. Come on. That's, that's <laughs> the greatest, uh, <laughs> Ramones vehicle ever. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's great. These, these directors have their hand in so much stuff and yeah, I love it. It's, um, it's, it's so great to fall down a rabbit hole with some of these people. They're, they're such household names and all you can think of is they did this, you know, James Cameron's on Titanic. He's on Avatar. Yeah. He's, you know, on Terminator or whatever. And you do like these deep dives and you find, you know, some of the weird, obscure stuff that they worked on or whatever. Did you have any, uh, any topics or points of contention you wanted to, to get to? About the film overall, um, I have some things that I wanted to just list off, you know, some of the okay. facts about the movie that I thought were interesting. Yeah, um, absolutely. People love facts. I love learning shit that I didn't know about movies, especially good movies like Terminator. Nothing earth shattering here, but it was, I did read that. Cameron used uh, guerrilla filmmaking tactics to make this his, the budget didn't look small to me, but I guess maybe the scope of the film and the actors that he chose or whatever, I'm not sure how much he paid Arnold and, and all of that. Uh, I have the budget here, 6.4 million. So a lot of this was guerrilla style filmmaking. And if you're not familiar with guerrilla style filmmaking, uh, that's where you kind of do your own thing. That's where you, you make it work with what you have. Uh, and, and a lot of that was not, obtaining permits for specific mm -hmm. things for for specific scene shots for areas so a lot of times they were setting up with the, the least amount of people possible for the crew and actors and all of that getting the scene as quickly as they could and then getting the hell out of there before the cops showed up uh i yeah. thought that was really interesting and knowing that upon second viewing and watching the film i just felt like i saw that all over the place it was it was great to know that fact and then see that so it adds to the creativity and the the praise that you can give to james cameron uh, yeah. to film a movie like terminator that's so highly revered in a guerrilla style like like you were explaining it's um it speaks volumes yeah it's very interesting of course you, with titanic or avatar or something like that he's got all the money in the world. He's got of a blank check. He can grab every permit and shoot as long as he needs to and all of that. But you go to something a little more gritty like this, a little more street level, way smaller budget and kind of see how he made that work and, and get in his mind frame of, I'm going to make this work. I don't care how much money we don't have to throw at this. It's mm -hmm. going to happen. Just interesting. Interesting to look at it through that lens. Another thing that I thought was really interesting, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I read this, and then on my second viewing, I double-checked it, and, okay. and that's what I 
came up with too. Arnold only has 14 lines in this movie. <laughs> I believe it. And it's okay because like Michael Myers, you can be absolutely, there's something actually almost more intimidating about silence than if Arnold were to a little more vocal in the second, but doesn't detract from anything. But in this movie, what he says is just mimicking other humans. And it adds to the unsettling robotic nature that while he is a human or a humanoid or a cyborg, he still moves robotically. And there are a couple times in this movie where you do notice that. But the fact that he doesn't talk, I think, is more impactful. Yeah, it was it was really interesting to me. I hadn't thought about that ever. I hadn't thought about the lack of dialogue for Arnold or anything like that. You're yeah. you're 100 correct. The few things that he says are very impactful. You got to think this is the early 80s. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger is kind of coming up out of nowhere other than you know like we said uh, you've got him out there not really acting and then you've got him in the conan stuff that wasn't yep. huge for the general audience or whatever uh so this is almost most people's introduction to him he's got this funky accent you know to most uh american yeah. here often then for him to come on screen and deliver the lines the way that he does to say what he does mm -hmm. and not really expand any further on that to just kind of yeah. hold you know he's got his few lines he's got the uh whatever he repeats to the the punks at the beginning when he's taking the clothes <laughs> whatever you know few things that he says whenever he tells the dispatcher at the jail that yep. he'll he'll be back you know with and, and rams the car through and everything it's so impactful everything that he says so very impactful i think just with those 14 lines if when we get to favorite quotes i think they're all going to be every 14 line from <laughs> they're, they're great they're they're really good and there's some good lines in this movie there's some good dialogue mm -hmm. uh but yeah he he shines so so i thought that was interesting another thing that i thought was interesting and, and of course we'll get more into this when we recast and everything but please tell me that you knew because i didn't until uh just a couple of days ago that originally before Cameron spoke to Schwarzenegger about casting him for the role. Yeah. OJ Simpson was considered for the role of the T-800. OJ Simpson. OJ Simpson. Dead serious. There was even a, it's not the now comic book that's published, uh, which was published like right around the time that the movie came out. Yeah. But somebody published a comic book before the movie really came out and they used OJ's likeness as the T-800. Um, so it's it's like a documented fact. This is something that really happened. And it's <sighs> wild having the uh, hindsight that we have on, on that. But the reason that they did not choose him was because they thought that he was too likable and wouldn't okay. be intimidating or anything. Yeah, that's true. And Arnold plays the part phenomenally. Obviously, one of the best performances of his career in this movie. On the other hand, Linda Hamilton in this movie makes one more sequel and then kind of fizzles out. As, yeah. as iconic of a movie character as she created, kind of disappears. Yeah, and it's interesting. You got to think, why did that happen? Was she typecast? Did she just kind of not find the right roles for her? Yeah. She's an interesting actress. She's interesting in this movie, and she's definitely not bad by any means. I don't know really what she did before this because I didn't do right. research uh, if she was like a TV actress or anything, but I know she was pretty young in the role maybe in her early to mid twenties, it, it would be interesting to go back and see what she did leading up to this, but she's charismatic enough for the role and she's definitely badass enough for the role. And then what comes later, I wouldn't say she's like a hundred percent likable. She's not, she doesn't have that like Hollywood charisma about her to me. It's not until the sequel where she really steps out of that shell or kind of plays a damsel in distress where in the second movie she flourishes into next to ellen ripley one of the top female protagonists of all time yeah and he's still convincing in this movie still emotional uh still performs and does with the role what what she she needed to do yeah and she's definitely not a bad actress by any means she really mm. delivers here i feel like she's absolutely in her element in this but you see glimpses of where she needed some work. There's the scene in the, I guess, jail in the office parts of the jail uh, yep. where where the T-800 bursts in and begins shooting and all of that. And she's in the office by herself, ducking under the desk and everything. And, and she's around everyone and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and she should be freaking out in these moments. She's young. She's uh, never experienced anything like this, I would hope. Um, <laughs> probably not even ever been in, into a jail before or anything yeah. like that definitely not have anybody chasing her with with guns killing people around her and stuff and she doesn't 
seem to deliver that that sheer terror that I feel like somebody else could. Now you put somebody like Jamie Lee Curtis in that role, and she would probably overdo it a little bit based on her yeah. track record. But I, feel like <laughs> I need somebody to do something in those parts because yeah. Linda Hamilton's not doing anything. We need a, a happy medium there between Jamie Lee Curtis and Linda Hamilton. Okay. So yeah, uh, but but she was she was great for this. I'm I'm not taking anything away from her, but I could see where maybe she didn't have as much longevity as as somebody like Arnold. I, I could definitely see that. Uh, one of the other things, not to take away from our recasting, but <laughs> Mel Gibson turned down this role before it was offered to Arnold. Sylvester Stallone was considered uh, along with OJ before they spoke to Arnold. So okay. this could have been a completely, completely different movie. I think that if you cast Stallone in this part, there's way more dialogue. Uh, he tries to make it his own thing and doesn't really play into the seriousness that, that Arnold's able to make it. Uh, Mel Gibson, I just can't see it. Obviously big in the, in the 80s with Mad Max, all these guys were. So I think they really dodged three bullets there. Yeah. And by going with Arnold for for the Terminator. Yeah, it's it's very interesting to think uh, what what some of some of them could have done with this. I'm not going to sit here and say that I wouldn't be stoked to see a reimagining with Mel Gibson in there. <laughs> for sure. I, think I would love to see that. But uh, but yeah, I agree with you. Some of these people, maybe not OJ, but definitely Stallone. And, <laughs> well, not OJ not anymore. <laughs> and uh, and Mel Gibson. I, I agree with you there. I don't think yeah. they take on this role and, and say, you know, read their sides, read, read the script and say, Oh, I've got 14 lines in this movie. Hell no. Like, you know, I, I need, I need pages of dialogue here. I'm about to sell the hell out of this thing. I'm going to be top build. I'm yeah. on the poster, all this. Uh, so yeah. And, and this was really, uh, again, researching this movie. I also heard that Arnold did a lot of, I, I guess not really method work, but kind of maybe uh, along those lines. He made it a point to not meet with uh, the rest of the cast. He stayed completely separate from them. He didn't talk to them. They didn't have lunch together or anything like that. He wanted to make sure that those scenes where he interacted with them, that he was a robot and he had no connection to them whatsoever. Wow. So maybe if people talk smack about Arnold from now on, I'm going to say, listen, have you seen Terminator? That There is a science behind that and his role. Yeah, I, I agreed. Uh, he really nailed this thing this is i'm gonna sound like a broken record i've said it every single episode yeah, for real it should be a count like <laughs> both a do yeah this is not the terminator without arnold schwarzenegger in this role he's too perfect and and whatever it's worth so is linda hamilton i think it's because of the sequel uh -huh. that whatever qualms or hesitations you had about the first movie the second movie says whatever hesitation you had throw it right out the window yeah, I mean, they delivered on, on both of those films tremendously. They're kind of perfect. I have one last thing, and then okay. I'll, I'll wrap yep. up little side notes. Okay. Um, but the, the last thing that I wanted to say was that the idea of this movie did come from Cameron being let go from uh, Piranha 2. He was, he was doing work on that, and he was let go. Not so, a movie that will ever show up on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, so uh, imagine you're uh, working... I don't know. You're somebody working on Piranha 2. You, you fire James Cameron, first of all. So Unreal. Yeah. The balls. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And he really wanted this thing. He was, I read that he stayed like in a hotel near production and everything in case they wanted him to come in and help with editing or anything, which they didn't. Uh, he ended up really sick. He was laying in a, I believe in a hotel room uh, with a high fever and he had a fever dream, and his fever dream was the money shot from this, the ex, the endoskeleton, rather, uh, yeah. coming out of the flames, and then uh, holding a kitchen knife and crawling itself across the floor at him. That's where this movie came from. That was his inspiration for the idea for the film. I'm glad he had that fever dream. I'm glad he was sick. I don't usually say this about people, but I'm glad he, he had that dream. Uh, this movie cost 6.4 million gross 34 million i'd say that's a box office success <laughs> it was 20 ranked 21st in box office in 1984 do you have any guesses as to what was number one? Oh god 1984 um <laughs> geez uh I'm not even thinking along those lines. No, throw it at me. It is Ghostbusters. Oh, oh, wow. That's yeah, I'm sure that movie will show up here on this podcast. <laughs> That's too. terrible that I wouldn't notice. Yeah. So yeah, 21st, um, successful enough to spawn and become a franchise as it is known today. The awards, we can give out awards. They didn't give this movie many Oscars or awards, but we can definitely give out our typical awards. We'll start with best scene. You can go first. I'm going. Okay, I'm up. Okay. All right, all right. Let's do it. For me, 
the best scene is that interrogation scene where we got Reese and uh, what's his name? So oh, the the, the psycho psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah, that that guy. I don't know. And it's so clever, in my opinion. It, it's it's the exposition. We're getting that dump uh, about why they're there, how he got there, what happened, what's going on. Like like uh, Knives Out. It's cleverly placed in like kind of like an interrogation or uh or whatever it seems natural that that information would come yeah so natural i didn't i never even noticed that until this critical viewing that i was doing here uh that, that that's what this was but it's it's yes like you said it's so natural I'm not so high on that actor. It's not that I think that he's the greatest thing ever or anything like that, but but he delivers in that he, you see his need for, for why he's there and you feel you connect with him on, on that level of I'm here to tell you this thing. Damn it. Now, uh, now listen to me so we can keep her safe, you know, uh, or, or whatever. I love that scene. And then I love how it kind of wraps where it's intercut with the Terminator fixing his arm and his eye and everything in the mirror. And and then uh, and then it wraps up so nicely with with Reese talking about what I just said about, you know, all, all the Terminator cares about is, is killing her and he's going to do whatever it takes and he's going to yep. reach inside and rip her heart out of her, whatever he says. Uh, <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite. That's definitely up there. Um, like you said, in the interrogation, I think the actor's name is Michael Bean or Michael Bain. I'm really not sure how to pronounce it, mm-hmm. but I, I turned to my producer and I said, this guy's like a, a 1984 version of Paul Walker almost <laughs> in the looks. And yeah. I'm sure he had some, some acting chops, but like that good looking strong male lead that you need in the movie. And I haven't seen much of his other movies, but if they're anything like that performance, I I'm impressed. Yeah, I agree. He's very strong in that scene. He really delivers. And I don't know that he did all that much the rest of the film. But again, this wasn't really his vehicle. This was the other two. This brings us to worst scene. I'll give you my nominees. I was not a fan of the ending scene in Mexico. Okay. Massive spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) I felt, I don't know if it was necessary because you could have, after she crushes the Terminator, the movie end and that's it. Mm-hmm. So to have her in Mexico recording messages for and more exposition for John Connor down the road, I just don't know if it was necessary. Did you feel like it was set up for the sequel or did you feel like maybe it was put in there because they didn't think that a, they would get a sequel or did you have any opinion on it either way? I think maybe the studio saw the first cut of the movie where it ended, where I, I, I suggested mm-hmm. and they said, well, listen, we could do sequels. So why don't you throw a scene in at the end and, and leave it open? I a hundred percent agree with you there. I don't know. I have no facts to back this up, but mm-hmm. I would love to know if that was a studio note or not, because it sure as hell seems like one. It didn't take me out of the movie because I was, I was in the whole way, but it just was a quick change of pace to wrap up all the loose ends, including the picture that Kyle Reese had. I would liken it to a post credit scene in the most Marvel movies now. Almost any movie ever made now has post credit scenes. Sure. So it was kind of an, an early version of that. Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. It does seem jarring and out of place. Uh, and and I actually did read some facts about that too. That came up in a, in a couple of articles that I read about Terminator. That's something that kind of uh, pisses a lot of it's pretty it's it's a pretty divisive subject to to a lot of people um especially uh pro feminist um uh i can't think of the director's name now or writer the one that did wonder woman oh, patty, patty jenkins. jenkins okay yeah so patty jenkins was quoted talking about it and she said that this was linda hamilton such a, a huge icon here all the way up until that point they thought or or, or rather she thought that she encapsulated feminism uh, such a huge idol for for so many young females and and, sure. and girls and women in the early 80s and then you get to that scene and and it almost negates all of that i didn't personally feel that strongly about it but no. i definitely saw where she's coming from especially being that strong of a advocate for feminism and and everything uh sure. it's interesting and it's i guess i just have that lens of yeah this was a gap between uh one and two it, it kind of had to be there as strong of a character as sarah connor is i think her her shining time where it elevated her to ellen ripley status was terminator 2 what was your worst scene it would be hard for me to really pull one out of here. There's worse effects and, and things like that, of course. Um, sure. What I have down 
is so important to the plot that it's not something that could be taken out of the movie by any okay. means. I thought Reese and Sarah's sex scene was a little clunky and, and mm-hmm. it seemed uh, written a little poorly, especially the lead up to it. I couldn't understand why. I guess I kind of felt like given the sense of danger that they were in, given his uh, time traveling and, and hopping into you know this part of the past and everything and and her having this huge mindfuck of everything that's going on around her for them to be in the mind space of of having that sex scene right there yeah. <laughs> just it was a little much for me again uh, very important to the plot had to be there but uh, do you think that it may have been one of those end scene studio notes they make this more love love connectiony it's it's so hard to tell because uh cameron does work with with those uh he writes them in uh i don't know if that's just uh, the way that he writes his stories or or whatever but i mean there's almost one in everything i can think of so (laughs) (laughs) sure i i don't know it could be that's a great choice i can see why there are flaws to it but like you said you can't take that scene out you just can't do it or the movie doesn't work yeah um, i i totally forgot to mention my best scenes by the way there's a oh, couple yeah. of goods i want to get your take please <laughs> so i'm going to jump back here we're going to go back to the past here terminator style do it <laughs> mostly just because i fucked up in this great segue it would be even better if you like remembered like uh arnold's first line or something give me your clothes i don't know something oh yeah like, i don't know <laughs> give me, that's, that's what you give me your clothes <laughs> Best scenes, uh, buying the weapons when Arnold is in the weapon shack and he's (laughs) asking for every weapon, including, uh, what was, I can't remember the name, but it was like a futuristic sounding weapon, like a plasma rifle. The 12 gauge autoloader. That's Italian. You can go pump or auto. The 45 long slide with laser siding. These are brand new. We just got them in. That's a good gun. Just touch the trigger, the beam comes on, and you put the red dot where you want the bullet to go. You can't miss. Anything else? Phased plasma rifle in the 40-watt range. Hey, just what you see, pal. The Uzi 9mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And the gun store owner just kind of plays off like, hey, just what you see on the wall. (laughs) Really, really great scene. Uh, Also, Arnold looks about nine feet tall in that scene, too, which is really, really adds to the effect. Oh, yeah. He's got to be super intimidating for that guy. And of course, uh, for for a good reason, as we realize. But uh, that guy doesn't seem shaken at all. And the best scene, my favorite scene, is the tech noir scene where they're at the the nightclub mm-hmm. and Arnold finds out that she's there based on the, the call she made to her house. Arnold walks through the crowd. Again, he looks like he's about nine feet tall, towering over everybody else, walking in the background. And Sarah Connor bends down to pick something up as he looks in her direction. The slow motion tension in that scene is bar setting. That scene is that's that that was my second choice. Um, that's what I, I I had if we were going to go any further in, into discussion in that. Um, that is so wonderful, and that's really uh, other than the uh, the postcoital scene with the uh, what is it Matt and Ginger? Um, <laughs> um, oh yeah, <laughs> that's the other you know main reason that this felt a lot like Halloween to me was that scene. Like it just had that vibe to it that that I'm here. I don't care who's who's around what's going on i'm on a mission to kill you and that's what's that, that's what's going on <laughs> i just it's, love that it's at that moment when they come face to face that you really you see what's going on who's on whose side what the stakes are and it's a great scene that really kicks this this movie into into motion yeah it's it's very powerful and and like you just said you're kind of a. Uh, or, or you are, you're seeing them together for the first time. They're meeting one another there. Uh, it's, it's a very impactful, very iconic. It's yeah. very, very, <laughs> I love that. Scene. I'm going to open a tech noir where I live and see how many people uh, either get the reference or show up. So. <laughs> well, it's 2022. I'm sure a lot of people will show up. Favorite character slash actor in this movie. I guess I'll just mention mine real quick. Yeah, Lance yeah. Henriksen, who seems to be a James Cameron regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you IMDb him, folks listening will know who it is. He plays the the cop, kind of the second in command cop in the PlayStation. 
mm-hmm. and he plays Bishop, obviously in Aliens. I loved, I loved him in that. Every time he would open his mouth to tell either a fact or a story, the the boss or the the top cop would would either hand something to him or shut him up, as if they didn't have the time for his stories. And it's a it's such an obscure, tiny amount of comedy that this movie needed. It, it needed to break the tension there. There was a, a great reason for it, but yeah, you're right. It's, it's, it's such the small amount that's in here. You have that, you have maybe uh, whatever was, was going on uh, post-coital with, uh, with Reese and, uh, <laughs> and Sarah there um, where they have their joke for, for one second before Arnold or, or rather the Terminator shows up. Um, yep. So yeah, that, that little bit of comedy, I, I agree. It's, it's very nice, really well delivered, really well done. Who are you picking? Best character and or actor? All right. So I would love to know what we're six episodes deep now. You got to yeah. know. Come on. Just give me a guess. I, I need if, if you don't know by now. Who are you picking? Let me take a guess. Is it Ginger, her roommate? Uh, uh, you know, Ginger would would definitely be a close uh, third or second. Um, my favorite is actually the character in that opening scene, the first character we see in the film, the dude who's driving the, I, I guess it's a garbage truck. I'm, I'm not hundred percent sure. I think it's a garbage yeah. truck. His name uh, is Delray Goins, I guess. G O I N E S. I'm not sure. How okay. It, but um, he's played by an actor named Chino Williams. I love that dude. He just, he <laughs> reminds me so much of, of people from, from that time period. I watched like a, a movie from the eighties or, or think of like a dad in the early nineties or whatever. And it's just that, like, it, it reminds me of myself a little too. You know, little <laughs> things go wrong and, and you want to think that you're an optimistic person and that you'll just try it again or whatever. But you know, maybe your car won't start or something. God damn it. Son of a bitch. What the hell? <laughs> you know, I love that. I just love that dude. I just, I, I saw a lot of myself in him, but I like him a lot. Uh, I, he set a weird tone for me going into this movie. I I almost forgot about him on my first rewatch here. Um, and then right when I turned it on and, and after the beginning credits roll and everything, and then we see him, I was, I was so happy to see him again. So uh, he is my favorite character and actor in this movie. That's a great choice. And if you're listening at home and that is also your favorite character from this show or the movie, let us know, please. I know I need to know at least one other person out there. We've got a fan club. I'm sure there's like a like oh. a subreddit or like a or something dedicated to him. I, I bet yeah. you it's, it's somewhere out of northern northern Norway. I feel. Also, uh, when I was reading a little bit about this movie, did notice that that character was in another one of these movies as well. So um, I'm not sure which one. It's definitely not T2. So maybe it's Salvation or, or Genesis or. Sarah Connor Chronicles something. <laughs> Maybe he's in, in one of those or something. For some reason, the character does yeah. come back up, and and I'm excited to to see where and, and, and check that out because I like them so much. Okay, <laughs> we'll find him. We, we know you're out there. We'll, we'll find you. Recasting roles. We touched yeah. on this a little bit. We usually try to squeeze our boy Nicholas Cage into this category or award. I don't really have many recasting because like you said of the three parts um it's tough to put anybody else in those roles okay so you don't have anything i i i would say if i had to put nicholas cage in it i would make him ginger's boyfriend that gets manhandled in the apartment yeah (laughs) that's my choice i actually had a lot of fun with recasting this one Uh, I, i i didn't go super deep you know just the three main cast uh but definitely I, I started with uh, Sarah Connor, and um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you thought maybe Michelle Pfeiffer would do with that role. I, Michelle Pfeiffer's a badass. She's uh, she's around the same age as Linda Hamilton. This is um, true. Yeah, she would have been in Scarface, I think, a couple years after this. So yeah, the, the height of her career, she would go on to be Catwoman. I think that's that's a safe choice mm-hmm. because that's that same amount of innocent new to the whole situation not really an action star but can play the part mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what i think she can do and what's what uh what's her linda, name linda, linda, linda hamilton. hamilton okay what linda hamilton can do really well is play that los angeles server role that linda hamilton can do so well i think michelle pfeiffer can do that can do that just as well yeah and and when i when i thought about recasting these roles i was thinking uh 
obviously Linda Hamilton has a look to her. Uh, I, I'm not saying that as a good or a bad thing. She just has a certain look. She has a hardened look, in, in my yeah. opinion. She's definitely not your young Hollywood woman. She's She's got a unique look to her. Yep. Michelle Pfeiffer is obviously very classically uh, beautiful. Um, yeah. You know, to, to what? A little different, but it's like an '80s definition of beauty. Was it was uh-huh. there? There was just it just had a cookie cutter look. So I thought that that was interesting. You know, the look might be a little interesting, but as far as pulling it off, I, I feel like Michelle Pfeiffer would give it 110 percent and, and really pull this role off. Another, um, and and I had a couple for uh, for Sarah Connor. Okay. Um, just name off real quick. We won't go into detail, but uh, I'd like to see Jamie Lee Curtis in the role. She would absolutely deliver there. So okay. we bring her up again for the third time in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> she's our favorite actress right yeah, now. <laughs> well, she's she's doing damn good. Uh, Holly Hunter. Okay. Jennifer Tilly, I thought could be very interesting in the role. Is that too comedic? Maybe. Yes. Um, okay. But but I think she could pull back a little bit for the role. I, I don't know. Um, and then my last choice, which I, I I'm betting is my greatest choice of all, and your jaw will hit the floor the second <laughs> I say it, is Madonna. Oh, Madonna. <laughs> I would. I I think Madonna would kill this thing. Uh, Madonna is not typically what you go to uh for an outstanding actress or anything she's more of a pop star we know that but she's obviously been in some roles and some pretty big roles i think madonna would be very interesting in this especially in the early she's <laughs> got our vote we're recasting <laughs> linda hamilton instead we're going with madonna um and my last two and, and again like these are just the other two roles the the t800 the terminator itself Let's see Bruce Campbell in that. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> if anybody else in the entire world can can pull it off, uh, it's Bruce Campbell. Now, he'd overham the hell out of it and uh, and everything, but that's okay. Uh, it would be a different take. And then for Reese, uh, I'd like to see Mel Gibson in that role as opposed to the Terminator. I think uh, Mel Gibson would make a great uh, Kyle Reese. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with the, the Mel Gibson and scrapping him as Terminator because he doesn't have that intensity that Arnold pulled off and throw him into a role like Kyle Reese in that psychological evaluation, in that interrogation. And I think you get a slightly better performance out of a slightly better actor. So, oh, yeah. Uh, a little bit was killed uh, throughout the whole movie. Um, but yeah, it, it would be interesting to see mm-hmm. Mel Gibson in that role. One of my favorite subjects or awards to give out is what what is age the best in these movies and this is a movie from 84 Mm -hmm. you can go you can show this movie to newer generations and they'll say oh look at the special effects they look like absolute dog shit this is 1984 Mm -hmm. you know the closest visual effects you have is is ghostbusters before this there was no cgi movies didn't lean on the cgi as they do today Oh, yeah, in in 1984, uh, and and sci-fi and horror, we're relying heavily, very very heavily, and mainly on practical effects. Yeah. Uh, that's that's what you had in your toolbox to work with. It's it's not the same as as the 2000s, the 2020s, whatever the hell decade or whatever <laughs> we're in now. But um, yeah. it, it, it's a very different time, and 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 we've come very far, but. Uh, I don't know about you. I really do enjoy practical effects a lot, mm-hmm. not only for nostalgic purposes or or that they look campy or anything like that. Um, they're just fun. It's it's nice to know that there's something there that you're looking at on screen, something for the actors to in, interact with versus, you know, somebody in a suit with like little ping pong balls on it or something. But, uh, it, it definitely ushered in a new era in special effects and yeah. showed everybody you can still make a high quality movie. With practical effects, you don't have to rely heavily on the CG, but it did usher in this this wave of movies, and it laid the path for you know CGI spectacles like Avengers Endgame down the road. Yeah, and to be fair, I know we don't want to sit here and harp on T2 too much. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the contrast between this film and then Terminator 2 Judgment Day, uh, that's, that's the big difference there. Uh, we're working with a what I assume is a much larger budget where we're writing on the coattails of that. This was a success and this made money. And now we can kind of do what we want with it. Tell, tell a more cohesive story and throw some more money at it. And the effects in Terminator two are, 
pretty damn outstanding. I remember seeing that around the time that it came out. Yeah. Um, and it blew my mind, all those liquid metal scenes and everything. Yeah. Insane. We're not here to talk about T2, but I nope. did want to <laughs> offer that contrast really quick, the practical a- to, to that. Uh, what else is each the best? I have the legacy of Sarah Connor, how she's always mentioned in female movie characters all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either Sarah Connor or Ellen Ripley or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And uh, this movie made itself invincible to aging because it set itself in 1984. Yeah. So if you watch this movie in 2022 and expect 2022, throw it out the window because this movie takes place literally in LA 1984. So this is perfectly timestamped as to what LA was in 84. Yeah. And it's, it's a really good thing that they did that and they did it that way too. I don't know if you noticed this as much. I'm sure you do. Uh, the 80s were a very particular time, as were the 70s and as were the 90s. I'm not taking away from any of those decades, but uh, at least in my opinion, for my uh, viewing purposes, I can get past things in the 70s. Sure, there were things like feathered hair and bell bottoms and, and things like that in fashion, but the 80s are such a timestamp. There's so much going on there. There's such a shift yeah. <laughs> in, in culture, and I feel like it's because that younger generation, that more impressionable a uh, young adult kind of older teenager was very prevalent at, where before in the 60s 70s all of that you were more seeing adults on screen you know so they weren't typically so fashioned you know a certain way because they were they were a little you know older they were taking themselves a little more professionally more seriously sure. or whatever but in the 80s you have this this whole uh, younger generation coming out and they're very on top of the latest trends and, and fashions and stuff like that. And it just shows every single time. Do you have anything that has aged the best for you? Okay. The, the best for me was that score. I, I loved that score. It was by Brad Fidel. I'm guessing is how I pronounce it. Okay. He, he did that really great synthy score again. Yep. You know what it reminds me of, but uh <laughs> it's got that great 80 cent thing going on and it's just, it's done really well. And actually when I looked him up to see who he was, he played keys for Hall and Oates for a little bit. So that's all the, uh, (laughs) I love Hall and Oates. I don't know if you do, but, um, but yeah, that makes sense why I would appreciate that score so much. What has aged the worst? This might be a little easier to to answer after we do T2. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, Because you have something to compare it to Uh, Terminator being one of the first things in a pioneer. Maybe this has aged poorly pay phones that cost money to call 911. I don't know if you noticed that in tech noir. Yeah, it's funny that you say that I didn't notice, I guess, or I didn't pay close enough attention that it was a pay phone that cost money. But I did think it was really interesting when she was trying to get a hold of 911. And it just said that they were busy. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Damn, that would be terrible. I mean, imagine you're in the middle of uh, you know, something and you've got a second to call the police and tell them where you are and they're eh, we're, we're busy. Call back. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild. The payphone right in the middle of a, a dance club downtown LA seems like an odd place for a payphone. Sure. I mean, well, I guess any place is an odd place for a payphone now. But uh, Yeah, true. Yeah. My uh, worst, I have a couple. Um, I'll really kind of just keep it with one but uh okay. we already touched on the 80s uh, but <laughs> but it, it would be easy to sit here and say that uh that model that head model of arnold for the uh for the eyeball scene and everything yep. was, was terrible that would be really easy to say and say that it aged bad and all of that so i'm, I'm mm-hmm. not going to pick that i did just mention it um i would say while i loved it that semi scene with the with the chase where uh arnold's in the semi and he's chasing sarah it's so convenient the way that it's shot he he catches up with her every second and then it cuts and then he is uh 20 feet behind her and he's got a way to go and she just keeps he's flooring it but but her running and at this steady pace is keeping him away um and then that uh that looney tunes-esque bomb that reese uh gets in and throws into the uh semi and then blows it up <laughs> that was look it needed to be there and it was fine and it was yeah. fun it was it, it aged a little poorly. <laughs> it could have shaved about a minute off there. I know what you mean because when he lit that shit, put it in the in the truck, and I'm thinking to myself, this is the longest fuse ever. <laughs> yeah. So good point. It does not age very well. Some honorable mentions I picked uh, was really loud music dancing in the kitchen while your boyfriend's getting the shit kicked out of him. Uh, that's that. aged poorly. I, 
I had a note for that too, actually. Um, I, I, I wasn't going to go through it because it was just a side note and I didn't feel any need to, but since you mentioned it, um, that's their post-coital scene. Matt's laying in bed or whatever and Ginger's yeah. listening to her headphones. And I've got the subtitles kicking the second time I'm watching and all it is is, yeah, 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 intimacy. Yeah, 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 intimacy. Like, what a straightforward, beautiful song. I love it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's definitely aged poorly. And uh, like I said earlier, time travel movies and their desire or need to be overly complex. We touched on it earlier, so I don't want to go too deep into that. But uh, movies like Endgame, movies like Back to the Future, they get their complexity and they they start to lo- lose their magic that the Terminator keeps uh and uses to his benefit. But it is interesting that you say that, and we did kind of touch on it before, like you said, but this whole need to explain plot holes and explain time travel in every single instance and that the internet and everybody has to tear all that apart and everything, I get it. I do get it. So I, I can't say that I don't, and I can't say that um, that I fault anybody for, for what they're going for there. Damn, sometimes I just want to have a good time and, and watch a time travel movie. And I love time travel. It's one of my favorite uh, plot devices. It's sure. one of my favorite tropes. Like I love Back to the Future. I, I love the time traveler's wife. I love I love things like that. They're they're a lot of fun. Obviously, endgame. Um yeah. I to to always poke holes in that and say that it can't work for this reason, it's not gonna work for this reason, and, and this and this, and it has to be such a big deal. Um I, you're right. It was done so nice here because I, I just don't feel like that exists for this. So yes. I, I just wanted to point that out. <laughs> Most quotable line or your favorite line from this movie, obviously I'll be back. So we'll throw about that by the wayside. Cause that's, yeah, that's yeah. probably one of the most iconic lines in Hollywood history. The line was originally supposed to say, I'll come back, uh-huh. <laughs> which immediately loses all its intensity and all its the movie is almost like a serious quote and a goofy joking quote at the same time if it says i'll come back that's that was also something that i read that was a note that schwarzenegger had for cameron uh he he said that he wanted to say i'll come back that doesn't sound right or or something to that effect cameron said that what he told Arnold in response was, I don't tell you how to act. Don't tell me how to write. And and that's where they went with that. Oh, that oh. is such, <laughs> wow. My, my ultimate favorite quote from this, and it's not even quotable at all because I, I probably couldn't remember this without reading it off paper where Kyle Reese says to Sarah Connor, and it really drives home the fact that if they don't keep moving, they're bone, they're toast. Mm-hmm. And he says to her, it can't be reasoned with. It can't be bargained with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it will absolutely not stop ever until you are dead. And that sentiment, that line sticks with you to the very end of the movie when the the Terminator's arm is reaching, trying to strangle her one last time before she crushes it. And even after it's completely destroyed and not coming back to life, she pushes the arm away as if it's going to reanimate. It absolutely is incredible, the importance of that line. 100% hit the nail on the head there. That's what this movie is. If you take nothing else out of this uh, conversation about the movie, if you want to understand Terminator, it is the fact that Arnold is is here and he is here to destroy Sarah Connor no matter what. That's his only mission. He will 100% execute that mission. Kyle Reese's uh, point in the movie is to make sure that doesn't happen. And Sarah Connor is along for the ride as the uh, as the person that it's happening to, and she's learning along the way, like we are as the audience, and and and, and that's what this movie is. Um, and it's very important, and they all, each three of them, execute that to the T. That's mm-hmm. that we talked about. You know, some of my favorite scenes earlier were were in the uh, interrogation or interview or whatever with Kyle. That's where Kyle shines when he is giving these explanations for, for what has to happen. It's so important here. And, and this is how it has to be done. And, and this is what's going on. Uh, that's where he shines. Arnold shines when he is a complete robot. Um, yep. so, so you're right. That's what makes this work is that quote. Did you have a, maybe an, another mention or your choice of favorite quote? Well, I do love come with me if you want to live. Uh, it's something Honestly, that I say every now and again, in just in normal life, uh, it's fun. I, 
<laughs> I agree. It's a great quote, but I think that's a quote that will show up in the sequel as uh-huh. a more. Oh yeah, it's, it's outshined. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So <laughs> a great quote, nonetheless. What piece of movie memorabilia would you keep from this film? Would you be insanely surprised if I told you that once again I forgot to put that in my notes and I didn't <laughs> think about this Listen, at all? You have like thirty seconds while I just run my mouth here. Yeah. I'm choosing after Arnold does the thing with the eye in the animatronic, whatever. He puts on the sunglasses. Yes. <laughs> and that it's such like a he's this Terminator robot from the future and he inspires this new wave of fashion. Yeah. Uh, and it's really, really cool. I would love to have those those sunglasses. The sunglasses were very important uh, in, in that time. I do remember um, people talking about sunglasses and, and things like that so much at, at that time. Not saying that I remember because I was alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like uh, <laughs> referring to that time period, sunglasses sure. inside at night, all that was, was, a, was a big thing. So yeah, uh, really, really cool. Um, I guess if I'm going to pick something, I'm going to take something kind of big this time and it's going to be the, uh, the ripped apart bust of the, uh, endoskeleton, uh, towards the end there where it's, where it's just the torso and head and arms, uh, okay. the, uh, the bottom half. <laughs> Is it the pre crushed or post crush? <laughs> oh, I, I want the pre crushed. I mean, okay. uh, once it hits the hydraulic press, it's useless. So <laughs> it's those red eyes just <laughs> glaring at you. The last award and the most important is what do we rank this film out of 10 and why? I will start by saying that this movie is the first movie we've done that is rated on Rotten Tomatoes at 100%. So now if you don't give this movie a 10, you're wrong. You're completely right. (laughs) It is in the IMDb top 250 at number 215. Quite a flex for a movie of this caliber. Yeah. I have to take into consideration the sequels and the fact that how many years is this? 35 years later, I have movies to compare it to. I can tell that the movie doesn't age as well as poorly as most people say it does it's still one of the most influential movies of all time it's highly revered i i love this movie but knowing the quality of the the product that comes after this in t2 i have to say that terminator is sitting for me at an eight an eight wow nothing wrong with that here's where i'm coming from this is such an influential movie for me this opens the door to so much sci-fi, but not only sci-fi, this isn't just a sci-fi movie. I think that you can call this a sci-fi horror. I feel like there's elements of horror here that are are big, but there are also subtle elements of horror here. Of course, it's really horrible to think of a nuclear uh, holocaust uh, happening in the future or mm sooner than that or, or whatever those are, are terrifying things to think of the scope of this movie is just insane um and uh, and again what i talked about a moment ago when you talked about your quote it's it's done so well it's it's cut perfectly this movie doesn't have really anything in it that it doesn't need um that that sex scene yeah i could have done without um sure. the uh the bad acting uh from <laughs> from linda hamilton in the in the jail or police station please yeah. it, it was bad i'm not giving those things a pass because the movie's good but but i think if you were to sit down and read this screenplay this is very nicely done this is a very good screenplay and it's executed almost flawlessly with the exception of of a couple of things here and there with that being said with my points taken off for the for the acting from linda hamilton in certain scenes with a little bit taken off for the uh, convenience of the T-800 not catching up with with uh, Sarah as he's driving the semi. Um, I'm going 9.5. Okay. That is your closest to 10 you've come. I yeah. thought. <laughs> I thought because this is on the wheel from your recommendation that this would certainly be a 10, but 9.5 is a solid score. That is it. That is what we're giving these this movie. Uh, I guess you could say two solid thumbs up. Watch it if you haven't seen it. Um, there's a reason people talk about it. There's a reason it's in every conversation. It's worth every every minute of your time. Yeah, this is an important movie. This is something that you, you're you definitely going to want to see. Uh, you're going to want to watch it a few times. If you're somebody, and I can't stress this enough, if you're someone who enjoys uh, breaking down screenplays, if you're someone who enjoys writing 
or producing your own art or material. This is definitely something great to take a little bit of influence from. Obviously, you don't want to borrow or steal anything here um, or, or reimagine it or anything like that. But but to take a little bit of influence from this uh, would certainly do you very well. So uh, that's just my little bit of suggestion there. As always, do us a solid and like or upvote or share this podcast with everyone listening. We're going to go spin the wheel uh, to determine the next movie on Real Good Movies. You can watch that live wheel spin by joining our Patreon or OnlyFans for $27.99 a month. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if not, then whatever, your loss. <laughs> for Real Good Movies, I'm Jer. I'm Dan. We'll be back. Thanks for joining. Bye-bye. <laughs>